Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Thursday, January 25th, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. In Riverside today, temperatures are on the milder side with a high of 59.1 degrees and dipping down to a low of 53.9. Now, skating onto our top stories. Housing is more of a struggle than ever for American renters as affordability hits a new low, according to a recent study. We'll dissect the findings and explore how manufactured housing could be the much-needed fix for this growing crisis. Switching gears to consumer finance, the Biden administration zeroes in on junk fees. We'll cover how the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is stepping up with a proposal to ban charges on declined transactions, aiming to put more money back in your pocket. And finally, an alligator defies the odds, surviving a winter chill in a frozen pond. We'll dive into this cold snap chronicle that's highlighting the astonishing resilience and adaptability of these prehistoric creatures. Stay with us for these stories and more, coming up on Alex's News. We begin with our top story. Housing affordability is at a record low for Americans who rent. The latest study by the Harvard Joint Center for Housing Studies presents some alarming figures that affect millions across the country. Joining us to break down these numbers is our reporter Ethan. Ethan, can you tell us more about the current situation? Yes, Grace. The study paints a pretty stark picture. It found that a whopping 50% of all U.S. renters are now considered cost-burdened, meaning over 30% of their income goes towards paying for their rent and utilities. To put it in perspective, that's about 22.4 million renter households struggling to afford their living costs. That's an incredible number of people affected. What seems to have caused this dramatic increase in cost burdens for renters? Well, the study suggests that the pandemic has exacerbated the issue, pushing the number of cost-burdened households to heights we haven't seen in over a decade. With job losses and many businesses closing down, incomes have been hit hard, Grace. Plus, the costs of housing haven't dipped to meet that downturn. In fact, in many cases, they've continued to rise. So, with these cost burdens rising, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Does the study offer any potential solutions to these problems? There is a potential solution in the form of manufactured housing, which could serve as an affordable homeownership option. The study looks into this exploring why we aren't seeing more of it despite the possible cost savings. They've identified various barriers ranging from perception issues to regulatory and financial challenges. Manufactured housing? I think most of our viewers might not be familiar with that term. Could you explain a bit more about that, Ethan? Certainly, Grace. Manufactured housing is essentially homes constructed in a factory setting and then transported to the home site. They are often more affordable than on-site built homes. The contemporary versions are comparable in terms of quality, safety, and even design to traditional homes. But, the perception that manufactured homes are inferior is one of the significant hurdles preventing their wider acceptance. What are some of the regulatory barriers that are getting in the way? A major one is zoning policies, Grace. Many communities have regulations that limit where these homes can be placed. There's also a not-in-my-backyard or NIMBY attitude that persists, keeping these potentially affordable homes out of many areas. Plus, they're frequently classified as personal property rather than real estate, making it tough to secure traditional financing. Are there examples where overcoming these barriers has proven successful in providing more affordable housing? 
Absolutely. One noteworthy example is Oakland, California, which has incorporated manufactured homes into all residential areas, helping to close the housing supply gap. And across states like Arizona to New York, efforts are underway to reform zoning laws to be more inclusive of manufactured homes. It sounds like if more communities could follow in these footsteps, we might start to see an ease in the affordability crisis. But how likely is it that these changes will be adopted widely? That's the million-dollar question. The study does propose raising awareness about the benefits of manufactured housing and suggests that with more inclusive zoning and improved financing options, we could see a shift. But it will likely require a concerted push from policymakers and community advocates to see big changes. It's clear that the path to affordable housing is not simple, but with these insights from the study, there's at least a roadmap for how we might get there. Well, Ethan, thank you for breaking down this complex issue for us. Glad to be of service, Grace. Thank you. Stay with us for our next story after the break. We're diving straight into story number two of our morning run, and with us now to break it all down is our seasoned reporter Chloe. Chloe, it looks like the Biden administration is taking aim at a pretty common frustration for many Americans, those pesky bank fees. Can you tell us what's happening? Absolutely, Grace. The White House, under the guidance of CFPB Director Rohit Chopra, has announced an initiative to tackle what they're calling junk fees. Specifically, they are proposing a ban on fees for transactions declined due to insufficient funds at the time of the transaction. This would impact all banks and credit unions, regardless of their size. So this could potentially affect quite a lot of people, I gather. Do you have any insight regarding the prevalence of these transaction declined fees? Well, the exact number of these specific transactions hasn't been provided by the CFPB. But we do know from their research that the larger banks, those with assets over $10 billion, have mostly eliminated these fees already, which suggests they aren't uncommon. Smaller banks currently still have the liberty to charge them, so the proposed ban would essentially level the playing field. And these aren't the only fees in the spotlight, right? What else is the administration looking to change? That's right, Grace. The CFPB isn't stopping at transaction decline fees. They are looking into slashing overdraft fees, potentially lowering them to as little as $3. Up until now, these lower fee structures only applied to the bigger banks. There's also a push to reduce or remove non-sufficient funds, or bounced check fees, when a customer doesn't have enough money in their account for a withdrawal. It does seem like the Biden administration is attempting a broad crackdown on various bank charges. Now, it's interesting to note that President Biden isn't limiting this effort to the banking industry, is he? Correct, he's not. The president has also called for reducing or getting rid of hidden fees across several industries, we're talking banking, of course, but also cable and internet bills, and even airline and concert tickets fees. It's a flex of consumer protection muscles that aims to enhance market competition, reduce costs for consumers and businesses, and especially assist vulnerable Americans who may be disproportionately affected by these fees. The impact on competition and vulnerable consumers sounds significant. But Chloe, do we have any indication yet of how the financial sector is responding to these proposed changes? It's still early days, Grace, but conventional wisdom suggests that banks may push back against these proposals. Fees are a significant revenue stream for banks, especially smaller ones that may rely more on these fees to maintain profit margins. It's going to be interesting to watch how negotiations unfold and what compromises, if any, are reached. All right, we'll definitely keep our eyes on how this develops. Thank you, Chloe, for that in-depth analysis. 
Always a pleasure having you walk us through these complex financial updates. My pleasure, Grace. Let's see what unfolds in the coming weeks. Here are some other headlines. Investigators have reportedly found the flight recorders from a Russian military transport plane that crashed in a border region near Ukraine, killing all 74 people on board. The crash occurred a day after Moscow accused Kyiv of shooting down the aircraft, which Russia claimed was carrying 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war. Key points about the incident include the aircraft crashing in a ball of flame, the death of all on board, unresolved allegations by Russia against Kyiv, and the reported discovery of the plane's flight recorders by state-owned RIA Novosti News. Despite the find, it's uncertain if the true circumstances of the crash will come to light amidst the war's claims and counterclaims. Former President Donald Trump is making strategic moves within the Republican Party by personally seeking endorsements, offering special campaign benefits, and aligning key allies like Texas Representative Ronnie Jackson. As resistance within the party fades, Trump's methodical push for support highlights his influence and signals his future political aspirations. The Los Angeles Chargers have hired Jim Harbaugh as their new head coach, aiming to bolster their competitiveness. Harbaugh, known for his successful tenure with the University of Michigan and past NFL experience with the San Francisco 49ers, is expected to leverage his notable record to boost the Chargers' performance. Alabama is moving forward with the first-ever execution using nitrogen gas on inmate Kenneth Smith. With the Supreme Court rejecting Smith's appeal, this untested method of execution draws criticism about potential cruelty and suffering, reflecting wider issues around execution methods in the U.S. and international concerns on human rights grounds. The legal face-off between Donald Trump and E. Jean Carroll continues, with the potential of Trump testifying in a trial concerning defamation. Carol claims Trump assaulted her in the 1990s and defamed her while in office. Trump has been warned by the judge to maintain courtroom decorum and is fighting on both financial and reputational fronts. Lastly, Nanmoku, a village in Japan with a population where two-thirds are over 65, faces a population challenge. Efforts to attract young people are underway while managing admirable care for its seniors. Although healthy for their age, the village's survival depends on reversing a decline from 11,000 residents to 1,500 today. Those are your headlines for the morning. Moving on to our third story today, there's an unusual situation happening in Texas that's captured the internet's attention. A video has gone viral showing an alligator surviving in a frozen pond by sticking its snout out of the ice to breathe. You're our specialist correspondent on this, can you tell us more about what's happening with this alligator? Absolutely, Grace. This alligator is demonstrating a remarkable survival tactic known as brumation. This is a state kind of similar to hibernation that reptiles enter during the cold months. In the video from Washita National Forest's Facebook page, we see the alligator with a much slower heart rate, just three beats per minute. This is an adaptation to the extremely cold conditions it's facing. That is incredible. Three beats per minute is astonishingly slow. Can you explain a bit more about brumation and how it's different from hibernation? Definitely. While hibernation usually defines mammals' winter dormancy, brumation is specific to reptiles. During this period, they conserve energy by significantly slowing down their physiological processes. They don't eat or drink 
they just conserve energy to survive. Reptiles like this alligator, as well as turtles, snakes, and some lizards, undergo brumation, adjusting their metabolic rate to deal with the cold. So in essence, this alligator is in a deep state of dormancy. What else do these reptiles do to survive extreme temperatures? Reptiles have a toolkit of adaptations. Aside from brumation, reptiles have what's called a low basal metabolic rate, which helps them to conserve energy. They are ectothermic, meaning their body temperature relies on external heat sources, and they move towards or away from these sources in a process called behavioral thermoregulation. This enables them to handle a wide range of temperatures. And what about this fascinating fact of temperature-dependent sex determination I've heard about? How does that work? Yes, that's another unique adaptation found in reptiles. With temperature-dependent sex determination, or TSD, the sex of the offspring is dictated by the incubation temperature of the egg. It's quite different from humans and other mammals that have sex chromosomes. TSD helps ensure varying sexes depending on environmental conditions, which can impact population dynamics. With the way the alligator is surviving right now, are there possible long-term effects on the reptile's health? Well Grace, reptiles are remarkably resilient. As the wildlife biologist Robert Basterash pointed out, as long as the alligator can keep its nostrils above water, it should pull through without significant health issues. That said, extended periods of cold can sometimes be taxing, and it's possible they'll need a period of recovery during warmer temperatures. And looking at the bigger picture, does this event tell us anything about how reptiles might cope with climate change and other environmental stressors? This is a great example of how adaptable reptiles can be. Their various physiological and behavioral strategies could offer some resilience in the face of climate change. However, environmental stressors are complex and multifaceted, so while this is an optimistic view, we also need to consider habitat destruction, pollution, and other issues that can impact reptile populations. Absolutely, a critical reminder of the interconnectedness of all these environmental issues. Thanks for the in-depth analysis, Ethan. This alligator's perseverance is just another example of nature's incredible capacity to adapt and survive. It's my pleasure, Grace. Nature never ceases to amaze us, does it? It certainly doesn't. Thanks again, Ethan. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.